सहनावत सहनौनक्त सह वीर्यम करवाहस्वीनावतीतमस्तमाशावहै ओ शांति 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 Anyone have any questions before we begin? Mm -hmm. So uh, today's the third uh, class, thirteen, chapter two. We're going to cover verse twenty-three to twenty-five, hopefully. Um, topic two, or chapter two. So we're through these classes. We're trying to understand what this unknown God, self, Atman is. God, who we call Atman, self, Brahman, all means the same thing. What we're studying now is like the highest philosophy you're going to get relating to who or what God is. God is a very subtle concept. You need to think about it, contemplate, putting a lot of effort to get some understanding of God. It's not easy. It's very difficult. So another way of understanding God, Brahman, is through its manifestations. It's easier to understand God through its manifestations, its expressions. It's power. It's the power in you that makes the tongue taste. What makes the eye see? What makes the ears hear? The power in you that makes the arms and legs to move. The mind to feel. The intellect to think. This is God. It is what makes the sun rise, sunset. The birds sing, the flowers to bloom, the power that creates oxygen so we can all breathe, the water that sustains life. This is God. Brahman, God, is one single mass of reality, but it has many expressions. Just like electricity is one, but it has many expressions. Expressions through all the gadgets that we use. So the people who don't understand this, the non-thinkers, they don't understand how God Brahman functions. So what happens? They attach themselves to the manifestations, the different expressions of God. This is what you'll find in society. This is what God is. This is what God is. I worship. The sun god. I'm a Lord Shiva devotee. Lord Rama, I am a Krishna devotee. I believe in Christ, Buddha. There's nothing wrong with that. This is how they can identify with God. They don't have the ability to think of that mass reality. But the problem is that we limit ourselves to that one expression of God. 
I only believe in Shiva, no other expression. Now we all know through these classes, there's only one reality, one God. But we set up these different factions, different religions. We divide ourselves, attach ourselves to these different religions and expressions of God. And by doing that, we suffer from the consequences. This is what's happening in the world. This is my God, this is your God. Only my God is real, your God is, and then let's fight. So for knowledge and understanding, we must rise above these attachments. These attachments to religions, understand the truth and relate to that one Brahman, one God. This is our goal in life. When you get to that level of understanding, what happens, it creates peace in your life. Why are you at peace, anyone? Why are you at peace once you understand there's only one God? Any ideas? No difference to argue or fight about with anybody. You accept everyone who they are. You believe in that one God. That's it. And then there's no issues. So through knowledge, you come out of your spiritual ignorance and you start to grow spiritually. The world and everything in it is the self, Brahman. And that same self is within us all that we call Atman. It's quite simple. The world has no reality of its own. It is merely a reflection of Brahman. It has no inherent value. This world has no inherent value. As we said, it's an illusion. It's all Brahman. It's all God. This whole world is God. So what the Gita preaches is, don't get involved in any action, emotions, any perceptions. Just live life objectively as a sakshi, a witness. Like you're watching a play or a movie. Live your life in the same way. Do what you ought to do. But the problem is we give everything in the world a value and get involved in it. That's why we have agitations. We get involved in everything. And whose fault is it? Ours. Why? Lack of knowledge. That's all it is. Lack of knowledge. So, in these classes that you're all kindly attending weekly, we try to remove some of that ignorance. We remove it with this philosophy, spiritual teachings of the Gita, Krishna's teaching. And this is exactly what's happening. Arjuna is attached to everything, is given value to everything. The Kauravas, his cousins, is given a, is given a high value to that. because of his ignorance. And Krishna is removing that ignorance by, with this knowledge so that he can do his duty. So he's not agitated. 
the attachment is removed. That's why Arjuna represents us in life, because we're always agitated. Because of our unreasonable values in life, our ignorance, our lack of knowledge. Any questions? So this is a nutshell, what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve, and what the result will be from these classes. I have repeat, I have done that before. I have said, some of you may remember that I've mentioned this before. So last week's class, we did verse 22. And that's the only verse we did. Verse 22, a very, very um, um, famous verse, that is. Verse 22 gives you a good understanding of the process of what happens to a person when they die. The theory of reincarnation. All of us who, are, who, who lack the knowledge, understanding of birth and death, are scared of death. We all are, for some reason. Verse 22 removes that fear. And I'll explain it in a different way today. The same verse we covered last week. Why do you wear a shirt, a top, a dress, a sari, clothes? Why do we wear clothes? Anyone? Why do we wear clothes? It's a silly question. Because you cannot go out without one. You can't go out without clothes in, in society. You need to wear clothes to be able to contact people, to contact the world. This is normal. In your room, at home, in your bedroom, you may not wear any clothes. When you go to have a shower, you, may, you, put, you don't need to, to wear clothes. But you need clothes when you go out and contact the world. Correct? You wear a shirt, trousers, blouse, go to the office. How often do you change your clothes? Every day, every other day, once a week? Who decides how often to change your clothes? Who decides? The wearer. The wearer. The clothes are old, the smelling, whatever. You change your clothes for different ones, new ones. Similarly, just similarly, the subtle body needs a gross body to contact the world. Without one, you cannot function in the world. You can't function in the world without your gross body. So similarly, who decides when to change the body? The wearer. Who is the wearer of the gross body? The subtle body made up of the mind, intellect. The subtle body and the vasanas, the causal body, they decide when to change your gross body. How does it decide? When the gross body cannot fulfill any more desires, the subtle body changes the gross body. So birth and death, is comparable to changing your old clothes for new clothes, 
Similarly, you're changing your old body for a new body. And the most important thing, just as the one who wore the old clothes and the one wearing the new clothes is the same person. You change your clothes, you do not change. Your, the body is still the same. Similarly, the one changing the old body for a new body is the same person. So, why grieve? As we said, death is like a promotion. We all get a fresh new body. And we get rid of this old, worn-out, diseased body. So why grieve? That was verse 22 in a slightly different way of explaining. Any questions on verse 22 before we begin? You are no longer fearful of death after this understanding. Welcome death. Oh, I'm going to get a new body. So the next three verses we're going to cover compares the self, Atman, God, to the world. We're still trying to understand the uh, qualities of God, self. So what it does, it compares the self to the world. Now, there are two things to understand from this, these three verses. The self, God, is what makes the world function. But the self, God, is beyond the world. That's number one. God is beyond this world. Remember that. Number two, these pointers can give us some indicators about the nature, qualities of God. The problem is our limited intellect cannot completely understand what God is. And we have to accept that. So while we cover these verses, remember that. If you don't understand, you can't get your head around it all, just understand that it's, it's very difficult for the intellect to understand God. But you'll get some ideas, more than what you know already of what God is, yeah? So, any questions? Yeah, so. So we're saying the world is God. Hmm. We're also saying God is beyond the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two don't make sense to me. The world is God, but God is beyond the world as well. It's not only the world. It is all pervading beyond the world. This world is just a small aspect of God. This is what we're saying. Did everyone, can everyone hear? So that was a question. Yeah, good. So if we focus Mm -hmm. on and because if the if god is beyond the world and our intellect can't really comprehend that mm -hmm. then is it better that we uh save our energy mm -hmm. and concentrate or focus on understanding that 
if I see everything as God, I'm then seeing God everywhere. In a, in a limited way, you do. Yes, you identify. We said initially that the manifestations of God is the power mm. in the world. Mm. But that, isn't, that is a small aspect of God. This is what we're saying. It's not completely. Mm. You see, this is what we're saying. To understand God completely, it's very difficult for our intellect. And as we cover it, we'll have a better understanding. Yeah. And what, okay, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Why can't you understand God besides our limited intellect? So, we're having a one to one here, yeah? No, the question that you're asking is so, what, um, there's two aspects. So, are you asking me why I can't understand God? as God in the world, or why can't I understand God that is beyond this world? What, what question are you okay. asking? The point I was trying to make is, the point I was trying to make is, you can't understand God because you can only become God. You see, our limited, between me and her, our limited, our limited uh, intellect cannot understand God fully, but you can become one with God, and that's self-realization. Yeah. So if I was to understand God in, in totality, yeah. then I have become God, merged with God. We've merged God. Merged, yes. so yeah. therefore, yeah. Okay. up until I merge, I'm always going to be in ignorance yeah. somewhere along the spectrum. A percentage of ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. After this class, you may have increased that 1% of ignorance. You may have removed 1% of ignorance. Sorry, is that okay? Does, everyone, uh, have any, any, does anyone have any questions? Yeah. Did you understand Sil's question? Did any, everyone understand Sil's question? Why can't we understand God? She was asking, you know, um, because you can only become God through self-realization. Until then, through, until that experience, you'll only under, understand God in a small way, in a percent, uh, not hundred percent. Right, verse twenty-three. Nainam chindanti sastrani, nainam dahati pavakaha, nachainam kledayantyapo, nasosayati marutaha, nainam chindanti sastrani, nainam dahati pavakaha, Nachainam kledayantyapo nasosayati marutaha. Weapons do not cleave this, capital T, nor fire burns this, nor water wets this, nor wind dries. So, what's this verse trying to say? We're trying to understand this entity the self and it's saying water can, weapons cannot cleave it this meaning atman self nor fire burns this self nor water wets this nor wind dries we only know these elements hence it's saying that this has no effect on the self 
No weapons past, present or future can destroy Atman self-Brahman. Because Atman is indestructible. A nuclear weapon can destroy the world, but not Atman. What are the five elements that make up this world and everything in it? What are the five elements? Water, air, fire, space, or air. I've said that. Earth. <laughs> and if you put it in the order of grossness, earth is the grossest, then water, then fire, then air, and then space. This is the order of grossness. Space is the subtlest. Any idea why um, the grossness, how it's uh, um, come to that conclusion? Why Earth is the most grossest and space is the most subtlest? Any idea? Is it, are you asking from a scientific perspective? Yeah. Oh, the molecules are more closely packed and it's denser, heavier in yeah. Earth. And in okay. space, there's more <laughs> between it all. Okay, scientifically, that's fine. But there's another perspective I'm looking for. Um, yeah, go. I think it's because more of our senses come into contact with yeah. those, with the, the more gross elements. Earth, you can smell Earth. You put it in your mouth, you can taste Earth. Yeah, you can touch Earth. So more senses can contact that. Water, less senses. Fire is heat and you can see fire. Air, you can't see, you, can't, you can probably smell it. Space, none of your senses can contact space. So that's why it's subtle. Also, all humans are also made of these five elements. So everything in the world and all of us are made up of these five elements. Atman cannot be destroyed by any of the five elements since Atman is subtler than them. Therefore, Atman cannot be wetted, burnt, cut, nor dried. Even space, the subtlest of the five elements cannot be affected by the grosser elements. Fire, earth, air cannot affect space because it's subtler than them. The gross cannot destroy the subtle. That's what you need to understand. So since Atman is subtler than space, nothing in the world can affect Atman or destroy Atman. And I'll give you an example. The saying, stone walls do not a prison make nor does iron bar a cage. You may have heard that term before. Stone walls do not a prison make, nor does iron bar a cage. What that means is you can put a person in a, in a prison cell. The walls can stop him from getting out. The bars can stop him from getting out, but he can't stop the mind from going anywhere. He can't stop the intellect thinking. 
person can imagine they're on the beach, sun shining, sipping a cold drink while they're in the prison cell. You cannot cage the mind and intellect. It's subtler than the gross body. It can go wherever it wants. I used to read a lot of uh, Jeffrey Archer books when I used to travel a lot. So I used to go through many, many books. Some of the best books he wrote was while he was in prison. <laughs> He's written many books, but you remember he was a peer and he, he went to prison for some, I can't remember what it was. He was an MP, some fraud or something. I don't want to, I don't know, so I don't want to say what it was. But while he was in prison, he wrote the, his best, best novels. Mind and intellect is functioning. Mind and intellect is subtler than the gross physical body. So Krishna is trying to educate Arjuna that the Atman cannot be destroyed. You may kill the body while fighting the Kauravas, but you cannot destroy the Atman. So Arjuna, what are you worried about? But Arjuna is still subdued. It goes above his head, this understanding. Read the commentary. Who is it? Vanita. Uh, Weapons cannot cleave the self, nor fire burn it. Water wet it, wind dry it. The demonstrative pronoun, this, inam, in the verse refers to Atman, the self, supreme self within. The self is the core of the human personality. The spirit, the self and live in the material layers of the body, mind, intellect. These layers of matter are made up of five elements, namely space, air, fire, water, and earth. The self is subtler than all these elements. It, it transcends them all. Being the subtlest of all, none of the elements can destroy it. The gross cannot affect the subtle. As the saying goes, Stone walls do not a prison man, nor iron bars a cage. The walls of a prison cannot arrest the movement of your body, but can arrest the movement of your body, but not your thoughts. Weapons and fire can destroy the human body, but not the self within. Even space, the subtlest of the five elements, cannot be destroyed by weapons or fire. How then can the self, which is far subtler than space, be destroyed by them. Water cannot wet objects that are water can wet objects that are porous. Atman, the self, is all pervading. Atman alone exists, nothing else. Since it fills all quarters, it cannot be porous. This being so, water cannot wet it, nor can wind dry it. Drying is a dehydration, removing water molecules. Again, Atman being all pervasive, there is no space in it for water molecules. Thus, wind cannot dry it. These verses are meant to educate Arjuna gradually on the indestructibility of Atman. The self in be begins. The destruction of the bodies in the battle in the battle in no way can affect, no way affects the real self. 
So these verses supposed to educate Arjuna on the indestructibility of Atman, the self in all beings. The destruction of the bodies in battle in no way affects the real self. The self is immortal. Any questions on that verse? So it's explaining what the self is, the qualities of the self. In a way, we can understand it. Any questions? Arunabhin, okay? Okay. Verse 24. Achet yo yamadayo yam Akled yo sosya evacha Nitya sarvagata stanu Racholo yam sanatanaha Achet yo yamadayo yam Akled yo sosya evacha Nitya sarvagata stanu Racholo yam sanatanaha This cannot be cut, nor burnt, nor wetted, nor dried. This is eternal, all-pervading, stable, immovable, and ancient. This verse continues from the previous verse and is very similar. It continues to explain the indestructibility of the self. So the difference here is that in the last verse, Krishna said, weapons can't cleave it. And here he says, the self cannot be cut, which is similar. It's like a repeat of the last verse. But what there's a slight, subtle difference between the last verse and this verse. See, in verse 23, during the war of Mahabharata, what were the weapons? What would be the weapons in Mahabharata time? Any idea? Arrows and spears and fire. Arrows, spears, swords, fire. Those were the weapons they used. So this is this difference here. The verse is saying, even in the future, like now, we have nuclear weapons, also other high-tech weapons far more superior than the bow and arrow. Even these cannot destroy the self. And any future weapons also cannot destroy Atman, the self, because the self is eternal. That's the, see how the Gita covers everything. So there's no dispute. Weapons can't cut it, can't, destroy the self now and in the future. Nothing can destroy Atman because Atman is eternal. Also, it is comparing the self to space. Space has similar qualities to self, but the self is beyond space. We'll, we'll learn more about that. Arunabhin, would you please read up to the just to the uh, end of second paragraph, please? 
Verse 24 is almost a repetition of verse 23. The pronoun this, I am, again appears in the present verse, referring to Atman, the supreme self. The self cannot be cut, nor burned, nor wetted, nor dried. The only difference in the two statements appears to be their grammatical construction. This verse states in a passive voice what the preceding one says in an active voice. Verse 23 declares that weapons, fire, water, and wind cannot destroy or even affect the self. All the present means and methods of destruction known to mankind cannot annihilate the self. This verse reiterates the same truth to indicate the absolute indestructibility of the self. It is not the lack or adequate weapons or methods of destruction in the present that render the self indestructible. Neither humanity nor nature can find effective means to destroy the self even far into the future because the self is above destruction. The above qualities of the self also apply equally to space, the subtlest of the five elements. Weapons cannot cut space, nor fire burn space, nor water wet it, nor wind dry it. In order to distinguish the self from space, certain other adjectives have been included in this verse. These adjectives make the self absolute placing it beyond space. So there's a few qualities of what the self is. The self is beyond, is eternal beyond time. Why is the self beyond time? Any idea? Yeah, Vanita? Because uh, we've decided what time is. We've made that up. That's not... Yeah. Time and space is a concept of intellect, man-made. We've decided there's 12 hours, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year. We've decided that. It is a self that enables the intellect to function. And the self existed before the intellect. Therefore, the self is beyond time and space. We'll have a better understanding um, in a minute. The world is made up of time, space, and causation, cause and effect. These are the qualities of the world. If you take these qualities away, then there is no world. The self is beyond the world. This is why I mentioned in the beginning, the self is beyond the world. Nothing in the world can compare to the self or harm the self. Any questions? As I said in the beginning, if it goes above your head, just understand intellect cannot understand the self. Would you please read them? That paragraph, please. Nityaha, eternal. Time and space are concepts of the intellect, 
but the self is not. The self is that which enables the intellect to conceive anything, including time and space. Self existed before the intellect. It is therefore beyond time. It is eternal. Also, the world is constituted of time, space, and causation. The self is beyond the world. At the final dissolution of creation, the world is said to be destroyed. Time ceases along with the world, but the self never ceases to be, therefore eternal. So you can destroy the world. When you destroy the world, time, space, causation goes with the world because those are the qualities of the world. The self still remains. The next quality is all-pervading, meaning the self has no form. The self pervades the microcosm, all the small things that we can't see, atoms, microorganism, bacterium, everything. The self also pervades the macrocosm, meaning the whole world, everything in the world, the planet, solar system, everything in this universe and beyond. The self pervades that. You can say space has very similar properties, isn't it? Space also pervades beyond all the planets, the solar systems, everything. But space is not all pervading. Where is space not? Any idea where there is no space? Any idea where the space is not? Nilam, any idea? Where is there not space? Deep. Sorry? I read it. <laughs> deep yeah, you read sleep. it. It's all right, go on. Where? Sorry, deep, yeah, deep sleep. Deep sleep and dream state. Oh. There's no space. When you go to sleep and you dream, there's no space. When you're deep sleep, there's no space. So space does not pervade when you're in deep sleep and dream state, but the self does. So it's all pervading. This is the difference between space and the self. Sarva Gataha, all pervading. The self pervades everywhere. It pervades the macrocosm and the microcosm. It is transcendent, transcendent, transcendent and immanent. It pervades waking, dream, and deep sleep. Space does not fulfill all these definitions. For instance, the individual has no awareness of space in deep sleep, yet the self enlivens the deep sleeper. Since space does not cover the realm of deep sleep, it cannot be all-pervading. Thank you. Next quality is stāno, stable and achala, immovable. Self is immovable. What that means is there are two types of movements in the world. One movement is from place to place. Example, we can move from one spot and walk to another spot. Animals can go from one area to another area. They can move from one area to another. The second type of movement is, for example, a tree. A tree cannot move from one spot to another, but a tree can move around in the same spot. The leaves are moving, swaying, 
Yeah. The roots cannot move. The self is all pervading, hence it is everywhere. Therefore, it cannot move to a place that the self is not, hence immovable. The self is immovable. It does not move because it is everywhere. There's nowhere for it to move. Stanuha, stable and achala, immovable. The self is said to be stable and immovable. Move, movements are of two types. One type of movement is within a place. The other type is from one place to another. A tree is stable at its base. It does not move from one spot to another, but it moves within the, that spot. Whereas an animal has both types of movement, the self has neither type. This is so because of its all-pervading nature. An object can move from a place where it is to where it is to a place where it is not. The self is everywhere. There is no place where it does not exist. Therefore, it can never move. The last one is Purana, ancient. We've covered this before. Atman has existed before time itself and it will exist beyond time. It will never not exist. Therefore, it is ancient. Sanatana, ancient. Before time. Why is time measured in seconds? Any idea? Because time can only start on the second experience. In the first experience, there is no time. If you think about it, you can only measure something if there's two experiences. Does that make sense? Who would like to explain that? Time is measured in seconds because it's the distance, the interval between two points. How else can you measure time? Hence, it is in seconds. The second experience you can measure from the first to the second experience, how long it took. Hence, the second. Otherwise, how can you measure time? Don't worry about it. Hold on a minute. Sanatanaha, ancient, before time. The self existed before time. Time is the interval between two experiences, just as distance is the interval between two points. So time began with the second experience because time cannot exist at the first experience. Perhaps that explains why the unit of time is called a second. But the self existed even at the first experience. Therefore, it is said to be before time. Before time. As we said, as we said, time, cause and uh, effect, causation, space, it's all part of this world. The self is beyond the world. 
And that's why initially I said, just remember, self is all pervading beyond the world. Any questions? So one more uh, verse, and then Krishna talks in layman terms to all of us, because we can't understand the depth. Arjuna can't understand. I don't know what you're talking about, Krishna. Leave me alone. So then Krishna changes his tune from verse 26, and he explains to us in a simpler term. So we got number 25 to cover. Avyakto yam chintyo yam avikaryo yam uchyate tasmadevam vidit vainam nanu marhasi avyakto yam chintyo yam avirkaryo yam uchyate Tasma devam vidit vainam nanu so chittu marhasi. This is said to be unmanifest. This is inconceivable. This is unchangeable. Therefore, knowing this as such, you should not grieve. It's, it's like a puzzle. Knowing this as such, you should not grieve. The self is unmanifest. This is what it's trying to say. The senses, your senses, your five senses, eyes, ears, nose, touch, taste, can perceive the manifest world. You can contact the world, but not the self. Why? Because the self is the subject that enables your mind, your intellect, your bodies, gross, subtle, and causal bodies, your five senses to function, as we said in the beginning. The self enables the intellect to conceive the world. The intellect cannot conceive the self because it is inconceivable. Because of the Self, we're able to function, use our senses to act in the world. But those senses cannot conceive the self. It's like, okay, this is the only way I can, it can be explained. It's like a telescope. You can use the telescope to see everything around you. All around you, you can use a telescope to see near and far. But you can't use the telescope to see yourself, can you? Anita, you can't see yourself with a telescope. Similarly, the mind and intellect can conceive the world, but it cannot conceive the self. That's why we said in the beginning, we can't understand self, God. Any questions? Let me finish this soon. This. It's better to say, I don't understand the self. If you said that, you're understanding the self. <laughs> if you say, I don't understand the self, you're getting somewhere. Can you uh, read the first paragraph, please? Irving. Verse 25 sums up the philosophic statements made from verse 11. The self is unmanifest, inconceivable, and unchangeable. Senses can only perceive the manifest. The self is unmanifest. 
Senses can perceive the world, but never the self. Similarly, the intellect can see, conceive the world, but not conceive the self. The world is the object of conception. The self is the subject enabling the intellect to conceive the world. The self is like the viewer observing the landscape through a telescope. The telescope is an instrument through which the viewer sees everything but himself. Likewise, the self cannot be conceived by the intellect. It is unconceivable. The self is unconceivable. That's why our, our what we're made up of, our intellect, mind, senses, it cannot conceive the self because the, the self is too subtle for our gross equipments to contact, to understand. We have a problem understanding space. How can we understand the self? The self is unchangeable. What does that mean? So there's a comparison to vasanas. What is unchangeable? The self is unchangeable. Like the self, vasanas are also unmanifest. Yeah. Does that, do you understand unmanifest? This world, I'm, I'm manifest, you are manifest. Everything we can see in the world is manifest. Vasanas is unmanifest. The self is unmanifest. Meaning our senses cannot contact it. We said in the last class, Vasanas is the causal body. Remember? Gross body, subtle body, mind and intellect. Causal body is Vasanas. Vasanas is the causal body. And the causal body creates the subtle body, the mind and intellect. And the subtle body is the cause of the gross body, which has the five sense organs and four organs of action. But neither the gross body and the five senses or the subtle body can contact the vasanas. Why? Because it is too subtle. Vasanas are inconceivable. You can't tell what vasanas you have. You're not able to understand that because you don't have the equipment. We don't have the equipment to understand it. So what this verse is saying is comparing the self to vasanas. Vasanas have similar properties to the self, but there's one difference. Vasanas can change. The self is unchangeable. That is the difference. So from verse 11, Krishna gave Arjuna the deep philosophy of life, highest knowledge of the self. Then for the next five verses, Krishna explains to Arjuna in layman terms, in simple terms, the process of birth and death, so that we can all understand it in a simpler way. Ravi, can you finish the verse, please? The verse also describes the self as unchangeable, immutable, this property draws the distinction between the self and the vasanas, which form the source or seed of one's individual personality. Vasanas constitute the causal body of a human being. As the name suggests, the causal body causes or produces the subtler and the gross bodies. The subtle body compromises the mind and intellect. The gross body houses the sense organs. Vasanas, therefore, cause the senses, mind, and intellect. 
like the self, fasteners are also unmanifest. The senses, mind, and intellect are are manifest, being the very cause of the senses. Mind and intellect, the vastness cannot be perceived by the senses, felt by the mind or conceived by the intellect. Vastness have two of the three properties of the self as mentioned in the verse. Both are unmanifest and inconceivable. But fastness do not have the third property. They are not unchangeable. Only the self is unchangeable. This quality distinguishes the self from fastness. Knowing this truth about the immobility of the self, Krishna appeals to Arjuna not to grieve at death. Krishna draws a conclusion in this verse after giving his deep philosophical views on life. From now on until verse 29, he gives a layman's point of view on birth and death. In verse 30, he draws the final conclusion that none should grieve for any creature. Thank you, Ravi. It gets simpler. As I said, chapter two is the deepest philosophy in the whole book. So don't worry, we can't get all of it. It doesn't matter. It gets simpler and um, we build up to understanding this chapter by the time we get to the end of this book. All this would make sense. So just bear with it and don't put too emphasis onto it. Because just being in the class and listening to this, it will change some idea you have of what God is. Or it will change what you thought God was. Even that is improvement. Getting some clarity of what God is. Any questions? Does everyone understand the God, God and self now? <laughs> That's good. So, any questions? No, I just, I just wanted to say, if the self is beyond our understanding, can everyone hear? Com- by the way, comprehension. Yeah. Um, and the the self is beyond the world. Then, with my five senses, I am going to be attached, aren't I? It's a given to the world. And and mm. so, if we're thinking about death here, we're talking about Krishna uh, telling Arjuna not to grieve. Yeah, but if he's uh, and, and he's saying, Krishna's saying, because everybody is the self mm. and they are all pervading, they are all, they're, they're, they're not going to die, full stop. Mm. But if, just like Arjuna's equipments, my equipments aren't going to understand that, because mm. that's what it's saying also, then we don't but grieve, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. We've covered chapter one and two. Uh, Arjuna is still grieving, and so is Sittal, still grieving. But as we get to chapter 18, that grief will be 
reduced or eliminated. Even Arjuna hasn't woken up yet. So I don't expect anybody here to wake up yet. So we've got another 16 chapters to go. So you have to wait and then you can say, yes, I don't think I will grieve or I won't grieve. Then you can make that decision. Is that okay? So it's a good way of getting rid of that question. After 16 chapters, we can wait. Any other questions? Okay. So, Tuesday group discussion. If anybody wants to join, please uh, just let us know the attendance. We can take this further. But as I said, if you don't understand, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Arjuna doesn't understand it either. Thank you, everyone.